<laughs> it would be a wall spot, eh? Right, deep breath. Firstly, are you okay? I hope so. It feels very strange indeed sitting here without Phil. Neves! Oh, Jim! Well, that old gold gem now belongs to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Welcome <laughs> to the first post Neves Wolves fan cast, everybody, part of the 90 Min Football Network. Adam here. As your host, along with Matt and Andy, to talk about our former captain's surprising move, among other recent news. Guys, how are you doing this evening? Okay, it's a sad, sad day in Fancast Towers, isn't it? Over the last few, uh, over the last few days, an emotional roller coaster. Yeah, still reading a little bit. Like you knew it was going to happen. It was just a matter of when, but it doesn't soften the blow any, does it? Really. No, I know. Well, I mean, the dust maybe is is starting to settle of the big announcement on Friday night. So, after six years, 253 appearances for Wolves, scoring 30 goals, most of them strikers. Uh, Neves has, has left Wolves, but not exactly gone to a team that, uh, well, any of us really expected. So, we'll we'll talk through the details of the deal in a moment. But first, I just wanted to gauge... Uh, how many tissues you got through on that video message from Neves himself that Wolf Twitter account posted on Friday night? Matt, hopefully, not as many tissues as you normally get through when watching videos of a Friday night. Oh, absolutely, absolutely not, mate. That's what the old uh, rags there for. Um, <laughs> no, it was. You know what? I never watched it until it, it, so like emotional. Did I think I'd feel about this? I made sure I could watch it like with a bit of peace and quiet, so I could just enjoy it and not have like people around me I'd, um, and that kind of stuff. And when I watched it, it, it was just, it really did, it did hurt a little. Like, I think you, once you get the emotional side out of it and you start to think like logically and what it does for the club, etc. But at the time, yeah, it was, and it was just an outpouring of everybody like across Twitter and across Facebook and you speak to people at work, people that you never talk to about football. They go, oh, what about Neves, eh? And it's just, it's just, it's like just huge news and uh, one that's kind of shocked, shocked to the core, really. Andy, what about yeah, you? you get through it. Completely agree. It was, you know, what it was. It was the first minute, like mm. seconds into it, when he sits down, he goes to talk, and his voice just cracks, and you think, oh god, this is going to be a rough like three minutes watching this, and it really was, just watching this man slowly get more and more upset and like matt said like my logical brain is excellent we've got the money we needed we can look on but the emotional part of me was just kind of bereft like he's been the talisman for six years as she said we've seen him almost every minute of every game for the last 250 odd games so yeah it, it, it was painful on the emotional side of things i think as um as matt bradley just put there in the comments it wasn't ready for it. I mean, we knew it was going to come at some point. This 
transfer. Well, obviously not to the team, but he was going to go at some point. But it was just it was just dropped in, wasn't it? it was like fr- um, early Friday evening. Here's your message from Ruben Nevers, and and your heart sinks, and you realise, oh, oh no. And when he, like you say, when he sits down, and he's pretty much already crying, or like his his eyes have already like they're already red, aren't they? They're already like bloodshot red. Yeah, they are. As soon as he's even started speaking. Oh, but, was, yeah, um... he just he, he lists off all of his like what he's done and all about his family. When he started talking about his family and stuff about how he welcomed welcomed his family, and that that sort of got me in the feels a little bit. I don't know about you guys. That, that's it. Like for me, it's the you know his kids have grew up here and born like here and grew up here, and that just felt really like just. I put a tweet out that was a bit on the mawkish side but you know saying about how he embraces the culture and the city and i you know living here all my life i won't have a bad word said about what isn't always a fantastic city but i really felt like him as a player really did embrace um you know living here and having these kids involved here and they grew up here and they're it's just yeah that you know players come and go and phases of the club's you know evolution will be but yeah, that that hurt, especially the family bit, because you know, it's it's a lot of like corporate buzzwords when companies talk about having a family dynamic. But it did feel that way with that Portuguese contingent that's slowly ebbing away. Mm, it's it's something we haven't had at the club for quite some time, really, because I do feel like we went through a bit of a, a transitional period where it was very much not selfish, but it felt like the players were here for the money rather than for the club. But that was something that Fosun's second season really did instill was this core Portuguese group. Obviously, you can chuck in like you like some Matinho and stuff a little bit further down the line as well. So, yeah, it, it did feel like it's the the splitting up of a family. Like people are leaving the WhatsApp group and stuff, and it must be kind of heartbreaking for everyone involved in the club too. I wonder actually. That's a good point. Actually, I wonder who removes him from the, cause yeah. the captain. We're really removing him from the, the WhatsApp group, but he's just got to like gracefully bow out himself. And I assume just then Max Kilman take over the uh, the ownership of the the WhatsApp group from from now. But I do wonder actually, just as a note, just as a thoughts popped in my head, when was that filmed? Do you reckon? Because mm. I don't know when it was. It obviously wasn't filmed directly the day before like the announcement because I wouldn't he wouldn't fly back from where he was in Portugal to just do that video and go back. I just wonder when it was filmed. Obviously the, the acceptance was he was gonna go. You know, did you not see um, gone, we might as well do it now because I'm summer. Did you not see Gully give away the penalty in the background for the second charity game? That was that's not what that was going on at the same time, <laughs> wasn't it? That's that's why it's distracted. <laughs> yeah that's it. <laughs> so after, well, I mean, let's get into the into the details of the deal then. So he's signing for Al Hilal, who um, are the most decorated club in Asia, winning over sixty trophies. They've, by, the, by all accounts, re- been recently knocked off their perch as, as domestic and, and Asian champions. And so here's the deal: we get forty-seven million transfer fee, which I believe is actually a record for Wolves, um, be- better than the the Jota deal. That we had, and also actually, it's it's the most a Saudi team or something's ever paid for since uh, Pereira from Albion went there. So that's one in the eye for, for Albion. Um, <laughs> we've got a three year signed a three year deal, estimated salary of three hundred thousand pounds a week, tax free. Might I add? 
So that's about £15.6 million a year. So with the figures in mind, there's obviously a few things that I kind of want us to discuss here. Um, firstly, what the deal means for the club. And if anything, given you know their, the club's expected public comments, that it doesn't change anything FFP-wise. But Andy, what do you think this, this, this deal does for the club? Because it's the spicy meatball. It's a lot of money. And, I, and I'm assuming that this money is going to be paid up front because the Saudis won't think about it with any installment plan. You'd certainly hope so. And that is really going to put a big dent in the, the argument of this FFP nonsense they've been talking about. Like you can't keep banging that drum when you've just raked in the nearly £50 million. Like it just doesn't really make sense in those terms, especially when they've been touting saying, you know, we're looking at the 8 to £15 million bracket. That's something that like most people I've seen online have sort of embraced that and no one's arguing that we should be spending thirty, forty million pounds on a player. We're all quite happy with like the shop window that we're we're shopping in. So realistically, I hope we get to see some movement now. I mean, I remember when Lopetegui was saying obviously he wanted all of the players in for start of pre-season. As far as I'm aware, pre-season starts in five days at time of recording. So I'm hoping that we might see something happen this week. Fingers crossed. I mean, I know we said that like probably 12 months ago when Large wanted exactly the same and we were waiting up until midnight on the 31st of August. But <laughs> fingers crossed we might get some good news soon. Matt, what do you reckon? What's, what does this what, what do you reckon this do? Does this resolve us now of any potential FFP issues or does that now mean we stick into the 8 to £15 million pound mark? Uh, I think we stick to that regardless of the, the outgoings. We need Sir Alan Sugar Stewart Kenneth Hall here, really. He's our money guy um, to talk us through the, the financials. But um, I don't think that changes our approach, to be perfectly honest. I think in the strangest way, I just think it's sheer dumb luck that the Saudis have had him. In that we... like, I don't think we've done anything clever about this i just think that we would have held out for as long as barca needed us to and we'd have accepted a shit sum of money because it just our, our transfer policy with stuff like that when you think about <clears throat> triore and you know cody to some degree in terms of length of contract and it being a loan etc I, I feel like there's still some naivety there when it comes to our transfer dealings for outgoing players not necessarily incoming um so I think it will just still be business as usual. I don't think this deal changes a lot. I just think it means that the book looks a little better for us. I don't think it changes our strategy at all. That's one way to uh, dampen down all the hype. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Thinking that we can go and spend 200 million now because we've got this 40, 47 million in on the books. Well, I, don't know, it may, I guess it, it will make, it might make you know, some sense. We were, I don't know how much Barca were looking to bid, but I'm assuming the, um, the Saudis would have absolutely trumped them anyway, money-wise. But so, if it means something, what it means for the, the, the what the deal means for the club, obviously, is very good. Help us out to, uh, quite timely as well. But I suppose one of the obvious questions is, what does this mean for Neves personally? We will get to professionally in a minute, but I mean for personally, is he now? Is this something that he just couldn't resist personally? You'd think so. I mean, three hundred grand a week, like you. Even the best will in the world, there's no way he would have been on a third of that at um, at Barcelona. 
they wouldn't have offered that money. So, like, to get 300, like you said, was it 15 million? He said it works out to across a year. Apparently, so yes. So, what, 45 million, million across million. the contracts? Like, it's, it's an incredible, incredible amount of money. And you can't blame him for, for not turning it up, but not like saying no to it, especially when I think. If the option was there, I do think he probably would have gone to Barcelona. But I think part of Neves's deal with leaving the club was wanting to leave the club in a stronger position. And he knows that the Barcelona deal probably would have been a busted flush for Wolves if it came about at all. Because let's be honest, they've become a banter club over the last couple of years. Like they're almost as bad as Leeds United. It's how it's gone for Barcelona. It, it's kind of embarrassing that they're one of the biggest clubs in the world. Giant and they can't is. scrape it to get like two pennies together. That's ridiculous. What do you reckon, Matt? What do you what do you reckon personally? Was it was this something that he was literally for the sake of his family? Just like those those figures were quoted earlier, could that just impossible to turn down? I I think it is. Um, you know, this is the difference between you know it, it is a short career in terms of the working life of a of a person. And don't get me wrong, if he stayed at Wolves on that sum of money for the rest of his playing career, he's not going to be, you know, scraping together cans of cold beans. Do you know what I mean? To eat, to eat out of. I understand that. But the, the, the possibility of being able to secure your children's 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 lives, why, for, for the sake of your family, why wouldn't you turn it down? Do you know what I mean? couple of years over there, tax-free, Come back when uh, a, a club are in a stronger position. When this all goes belly up, by the way, I might add, cash you know, cash the chips in now while you can. When this Saudi things goes the way of other, like you know, like China, for example, um, China, um, then it's just it'd be impossible not to. And I, I think a lot of people that are holding the moral high ground about it just need to have a think and just think what it does to his family's future for generations to come ethically it's fucking awful the saudi whitewashing sports washing everything like that but at the end of the day you know we all do we, we all consume i don't want to put this down in some kind of left-wing tirade here on this podcast it's not what we're about but we consume things from evil corporations all day every day i'm not sure that this is much you know it's going to be playing in the back of neves's mind to be honest um, so yeah, I think from his family's point of view, he's kind of had to do it. You, you know, you get offered that kind of money. I, I don't think many of us would turn it down. So ultimately, money talks, and professionally, what we'll move on to next. So I want, I want to talk about what this means for him at a professional level, and I guess more so than is he, is never sacrificing his career ambition for for just the gold because we've had he's been very public hasn't he the last the last two years he's op he's openly said in interviews he doesn't and he said himself he doesn't hide it he wants to play champions league football um and he might still do but it's the asian version not the european version but let's face it this is not what he probably wanted career wise it's not what we expect him to go career wise so i'm thinking He's he's 26 now, right? He is in his prime, and there is this obviously this this opinion of that you know he, he can still come back 
to Europe in in three years' time and, and playing in his prime. Well, he's kind of in his prime now, isn't he? He's 26. If he spends a full three years out there, that's 29. You begin to question what major club would want him at 29 after he's just spent three years in Saudi. No, Evidently, no big club really pushes to get him there. So my question then to you, Andy, is what does this mean for him professionally? What what Has he taken a huge step down in the terms of the pecking order of world football leagues to get the money? Or has he gone back on his desire to play the Champions League football? It does feel like he sort of has. Like the, the Saudi league... It, it, there's just no standing there, is there? Let's be brutally honest. It is down there with the likes of the Scottish leagues. There's no real prestige in playing in Saudi Arabia anymore. Whether or not he has had some assurances, because as far as I'm aware, the murdering prince owns all of the clubs. So I think the money goes to everyone. So unless he's told him, we're going to look to bring in all these players and we're going to improve the standard, and he wants to be there day one. And grow the league but realistically when his career ends and you look at some of the players who are probably not going to be anywhere near as good as Neves but they're going to come away with X number of European trophies and everything it does feel like it's a bit of a letdown in a career that's as you say it's a very short career and at 29 is he going to be improving as a player between now and then I mean, you could argue maybe he does. He's never had the most pace, so he could end up a bit, a bit like his idol, Perlo, and just sitting deep and pinging balls around and still going till a late time. But the chances of that are slim. You know, that there are more Michael Johnsons than there are Andrea Perlos in this game. So I just, I just don't know why he would have chose it other than for the money. And that's not a criticism of him because... If you offered me a massive pay rise like that, I would soon leave my job as well. So I get it, but at the same time, think of the prestige of it. I don't know. What do you reckon, Matt? I mean, if from, from a professional standpoint, do you reckon he'll... Well, one, can you, can you see why he's done it? And two, do you reckon, as Andy said, that in 10 years' time or more when he's retired, do you reckon he'll look back and think... Mm, I've had those three years in Saudi. You might not even win anything. Yeah, I'm filthy rich, but was it was it the right thing to do, or is he just at the at the whim of he had to leave Wolves? There's no other viable option than to take take this option. How, how yeah. do you see it? I mean, Matt Bradley in the comments, I kind of echoed what Andy just said and what I was thinking. He could be playing in his prime, well into his thirties. You know, for 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 the reasons that. A few of us on this podcast have said him, him not being the most mobile might actually be his greatest asset in terms of longevity. Um, so he could still have that um, ability to go to a top, top club in Europe and play into his into his 30s. Um, I don't know if this just sounds massively unambitious, um, but there can only be one Ballon d'Or winner a year. And what I mean by that is, there can only be so many of the absolute elite. And if he isn't getting offers left, right and centre and they're being a race for his signature and his only real option is to go to a Barcelona that don't necessarily want him as a third, first or second choice, what what does he do? Sign, an, a, sign a, a contract again at Wolves for the money that he's on. We probably would have offered him more, to be fair. Um, but 
we've all felt a little disenfranchised with the product as of late, haven't we? And six years is a long, long time when you if if it's not something that you're necessarily getting the absolute best out of. So, you know, for all we know, he might be looking at this as I can be the pioneer, that person that gets this Saudi league off the mm. ground and be one of the faces of 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 this emerging great league that's about to come around. This might be the future. Look what's going on with golf and F1 and wrestling. It, it, this is just the way it's going to go. And I'll be what I want to be one of the pioneers of it is another way to look at it. I think I, I can't even see him being there for the three years, if I'm brutally honest with you. And I'm sure we'll talk about some of the more radical tinfoil hat wearing essences <laughs> of that shortly. Um, but yeah, professionally, I think it's probably less of a blemish um, and more of an asterisk on a career is the nicest way I can put it. You do see, you do see like a lot of the, the common opinion to see online is like, as I think what, what Andy said earlier, like if someone came to you now and offered you 10 times your salary, albeit for a smaller company, let's say, you, you take it. But I guess with football, it's all, it, it's just a bit different, isn't it? Because you're already earning mega money, as we said earlier. You, you, like as you said earlier, Matt, you're not going to be a pauper already. So you're already earning well. So what's the desire then to go and step down to such a, such a low league? And football's football's a, con- a completely different industry from all the industries that any of us three work in, or you know the, the man on the street works in. It's completely far removed from from that at all. And um, I do just wonder whether or not you know that when when he does look back, he it, it can go one of either one of two ways, can't it? It can either like you say be one of those pioneers, what this influx of people that helped raise the Saudi League to be a genuine challenger on world football stage. Or it could be this boom and bust where in three years they're all coming back to Europe again because something something's happened or something's gone wrong. But um, you mentioned it there then, Matt, that there's there are internet rumours abound that he he could or he might go on loan to Newcastle given the, the PIF links. So do you reckon we could see him on the time in the next year or two? Do, do, do you give any credibility or credence to these... I mean, oh, it would. I mean, this is like that. There'd be super league levels of outrage, wouldn't there? We we'd do a mm-hmm. a crisis cobra meeting podcast on it, wouldn't we? Let's be honest. If it happened, um, they can't allow. They can't allow. Like the league has got to have something in place to stop that. It would be just an absolute. I mean, FFP is a mockery in itself, isn't it? Half the time, um, but. For, for the sheer audacity and brazenness of it, I don't think it would happen. There's, you know, sure, I say that anything can happen in football, as we know, but I'd be really surprised if that came about. I can understand that the piece is being put together and why people would think it would, but um, yeah, it's it's worrying because for all intents and purposes, it really could happen. But I think the backlash would be so severe that it would, you know. The Premier League in itself would probably put in sanctions against clubs trying to do this and find some kind of legislation that stops it being able to happen. Mm, I think that I think that is possibly the only reason why it might not happen is purely because the ramifications of that potential would be enormous. If a club in Saudi Arabia, I say a club, if 
the prince can buy a team of you know the elite of the elite, buy them to Al Hilal, and then just loan them to Newcastle United for a percentage of that wage. That player's still getting the millions of pounds per week, but they're only getting paid like five dollars or whatever for uh, for FFP purposes. Like the bottom would fall out of it. UEFA would be involved. The Premier League would be involved. FIFA would be involved. The Saudi League would be shut down. But at the same time, when the Premier League were happy to let a man come in and buy a club, a man who was happy to kill one of his own people on foreign soil, and now the the Premier League are going to play dumb and sort of just hope that he bides by their rules. Like, I don't know. It just. It's very, very dodgy ground, I think. But I, I wouldn't be surprised. But at the same time, it would be the end of football as we know it if it happens, I think. Mm. Do you reckon that... Because if they want to grow the game in Saudi Arabia, they, can't, they won't be able to do that by just sending the players directly back to Europe. Or is it just, as you say, it's not, it's not. the end game is not just to ultimately big up the game in Saudi Arabia. It's just to move the money around. Yeah, I think I think there is some of that because the money currently is in Europe. You've got the money there, and also there's the sports washing that comes with it as well. So ultimately, by you know, by doing the sports washing, by papering over the atrocities that happen in Saudi Arabia, more eyes then turn to that product. So they're getting it both in both hands, aren't they? You know, so yeah. I do wonder, like you know, when the the players the players go over there to Saudi, because obviously the, the league that sort of league doesn't have any doesn't have the integrity that like the European leagues do. We talk about you know wanting to win the big trophies over here, and like ne- Neves is one of the the first players in his you know, quote unquote prime to go over there. Uh, Matt, do you think that like they'll look they'll look back upon any trophies won in Saudi as you know something to really show off and shout about? Instead of like players who win European leagues or European Champions Leagues or you know domestic cups over here, mm. you have to say the equivalent because it's such, such because because we can all see the big the, the big picture of it here that it's a very small league, both coefficient based, quality based, but it's just got a ton a ton of money washing about in it. Do you think that they'll you know there's there'll be achievements and they'll be able to tell the grandkids about? Look, you know, I've won I've won three Saudi leagues. I mean. Don't get me wrong. If you're asking us as, as Wolves fans, Jason Guy could be selling this at the Mount in one of the charity things, if one of the trophies. <laughs> we, you know, we, we, you know, as far as it would be like a nice thing to own because it doesn't mean anything to us. Do you know what I mean? And that's not an insult to the to the memorabilia affairs. They do really, really excellent work for charity. What I mean is it doesn't mean anything to us, does it? Let's be brutally honest. A Saudi mm. winner's medal means jack shit to, to us um and i think the interesting thing is uh, like can anybody categorically say outside of maybe neves's first game would we ever watch that product on a regular basis i, I won't be you know no. what i mean i don't you know players have gone on to other clubs uh, you know in other countries in the, you know in the tenure of being a fan you don't all of a sudden then watch every single game unless they're like in a fabio scenario and they're on loan and we want to see how they're getting on um, so I don't think that there'll ever be a time where it's really, you know, sit down, lads. Let me tell you about the time that we, 
we uh, we had the you know the penalty shootout in Riyadh. Do you know what I mean? It's just it's not going to happen. But again, there's so many motivating factors um, that that must be going through him and other players' heads. And money is just one huge factor of that. Like. You know, a player like Koulibaly, for example, who's had a bit of a torrid time at Chelsea, I understand that move probably a little bit more. So, um, Firmino, I think, is the latest one that's um, that's going to be going over. Mm. Um, players that have kind of... I think this is the difference, really, in the Neves one, is that it's like Firmino coming to the twilight end of his career, get that massive payday. Almost surprised that Moutinho hasn't gone, get that massive payday. And it being Neves at this point in his career... That's the the shock of it all, I guess. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Andy, do you think that they can offer the players all the money in the world, which they obviously do anyway? They offer them all the money in the world, but you can't buy that that integrity, the prestige that the European competitions yeah, have. That that's exactly it. I mean, to beat Juventus, like they're a good team, don't get me wrong, but they're not the team they were. Let's say they still have that 100-plus years of history behind them. It means something to beat Juventus, even if they finish eighth in um, Syria or whatever they finish this season. You know, when you beat the biggest team in Saudi Arabia, they've been there three weeks. Like, it, it's not the same thing, is it? It doesn't have the same... Yeah, prestige. Prestige is the word. It doesn't have that prestige, does it? No, no, exactly. And, I mean, as like a slight deviation just before we move on, Look at the parallels between how Neves has left and how Matinho has left the club as well. And I know I said this on one of the previous podcasts. We won't go too much into it now. It's not about Matinho at this pod, but I'm still waiting for something to come out about about that. When you look at how what how Neves has acquitted himself with how he's left, going out in these like blaze of glory, big send off. Then you've got Matinho, who's literally just like snuck out through the back door like when someone back doors on a night out just slinking out hoping no one notices the old French exit yeah another call is it yeah <laughs> there's definitely a story to be told there isn't there because yeah. for so much of his time at Wolves he's been the elder statesman like he was taken to our hearts almost immediately and that first season is probably the best I've ever seen in a full season of a player in my 30 years following Wolves so for it to have ended as acrimoniously as it has, and like you say, it's just sort of gone out under a cloud. Th- mm. there's, there's definitely a story there because, yeah, he seemed to have taken Wolverhampton to heart almost as much as Neves did. So there we are then. Neves is gone. Not not to where he expected, but he has gone. We wish him all the best and hope to see him back in Wolves soon in, in some capacity later on in his career. But just to, I guess, look at the wider the wider picture here, um, what to make of the, the Saudi, I'm going to use quotation marks for the listeners, the Saudi threat to, to European football. Um, we've, we've, we've seen something like this before, haven't we? First with the MLS, um, when they were, signing players at, at the end of their career. That was kind of their their strategy at the time, kind of pioneered by by Beckham and then ultimately players such as, I don't know, um, Zlatan, Lampard, Perlo, Gerrard, Ashley Cole, they all, they all went out there. But it wasn't a strategy that really had any legs 
<laughs> much like the players that went there, I suppose. <laughs> and um, then you had China. So China's strategy was a bit different. That was that kind of government policy at the time to invest in football and get big name players over there on ridiculous contracts. Like I think I remember like Graziano Pella went over there for 400 grand a week. You know, he's, he was being paid more than Neves is now. Um, and also trying to get the World Cup in China. But then we all know that the government kind of reversed that decision. But do we think that's, that the Saudi, what's Saudi doing there? Do we think it's, do we think it's a bit, a bit different? Um, I saw an interview the other day, the UEFA president, he's commented and said he's not worried. He, he thinks that the Saudi thing is just like that of China and it'll, it'll blow over. And I guess while Saudi's play, marquee players that are signing there, they have mainly been either 30 plus or, or B-lister players. And I, I apologise to Helder Costa when I say B-listers. There are growing players that there are, they are coming for more established players now, such as the Neveses and with sort of rumours of Bernardo Silva potentially going over there, Hakim Ziyech, um, uh, the Chelsea goalkeeper, Edouard Mendy. What do we what do we make of it, guys? Because, I mean, there's, there's no FFP in Saudi, so they literally can spend what they want. Matt, what do you reckon? Is, is this, is this how much of a threat is this to the Premier League or European football as a whole? I it does feel different this time around. Again, you know, Conte has he gone now? Golo Conte? Oh, I think he's on the verge of a move. Yeah. He hasn't already gone. Um, you know, a player that is on the slow decline now, um, as well. It's a strange one. It's a strange one in that, you know. Other sports, uh, 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 you know, they're heavily invested into other sports. And, and whilst it's initially caused, you know, some some friction and backlash, they're still doing it now. I mean, Andy will know better than me when they did their first WWE sh- Blood Money show. It was a good, like, six, seven, eight years ago now. It's been yeah, a while since like they've that. done them. Yeah. Um, and they continue to do that. And, you know, it, that that hasn't been a flash in the pan thing. I don't when it says like a danger to European football in terms of like taking stars away. I don't know if it just becomes more players just become the different stars. Do you know what I mean? Like that machine of the Premier uh, the Premier League mm-hmm. or, the, or the major European um, conf- confederacies. That's not the word. This isn't the South. Um, <laughs> you know, they just churn out. They, they their manufacturing just goes into overdrive again and. I don't think anybody would, you know, if you had the Champions League final or their equivalent in in that part of the world, it's not going to matter, is it? You're always going to watch the Champions League, no matter no matter what, and because of that prestige. And I don't know what they would have to do to even get to a level where they competed. You're talking like decades worth of work. Um, by that point, we don't know where the you know the financial, political landscape or anything would be with these kind of things. Um, the only thing I can see being a um a real like oh is if they was if they were to get a real current player in their absolute prime and we're talking the levels of like Mbappe, Haaland, you know, someone like that, you know, like a young up and comer that is has the world at their feet and then they go and all the players that we've mentioned so far, Neves included, aren't at that marketing level, they're really good players. But none of those players that we've mentioned there are gracing the cover of a FIFA game anytime soon. Do you know mm. what I mean? 
And that's the difference between cultural impact and footballing impact. All of those players have a footballing impact, but they don't have a cultural impact. They're not selling shit to impressionable youth. And I think when that starts to happen, that was when like you'll open the eyes and be a bit of a worry. Mm. I think there's like a low level issue. Like you're always going to get players across the world who will want to play for Man United, for Real Madrid. But when you're Wolverhampton Wanderers and you're competing for a really good up and coming, like a Ruben Neves, like we were six years ago, for example, our spending power can't match someone like Saudi Arabia. And there's the potential for where the issues are going to arrive. It's going to be the clubs who were like lower to mid table in the Premier League. And potentially like the championship that could all, you know, implode almost if some of their players start looking to making waves in Saudi Arabia. So I'd imagine like the top end of the championship is most likely better quality than what is produced in Saudi Arabia. So I do think there is a potential issue, but it's not going to be for your Champions League teams. Not for a good long time anyway, I don't think. One of the um, one of the YouTube comments. There, Mac Jam made the point that I was going to I was going to bring up because obviously for a, for a while now the the food chain has been everything to the the Premier League. You know what happened? The Premier League essentially bankrolls European football, doesn't it? You, European football clubs they'll train up their then like their hot prospects. The Premier League swoops along and just goes, "Thank you very much. We'll have them," and that and we'll just chuck money at them. Uh, are the Premier League, and I'm, I'm kind of focusing just on our league here for a sec, the Premier League now just being like the, the bully that's been threatened by an even bigger bully now, someone who's coming along who can literally come to our league and just say, right, who's your best player? How, just And just throw money at them to go. I mean, yet we've, talk, we've talked about like the, the, you know, the, the lack of prestige or integrity that the league's got, but is it a case where they're just worried that someone bigger and stronger has come along? A little bit of that, I think. I do think there's they don't want to like lose face. They want to have the big stars in Europe, and I think ultimately, like I don't know if this could speak to all players, but I remember when Neymar was at Barcelona when he decided to go to PSG. Allegedly, the reason was that he could never win the Ballon d'Or playing at Barcelona. And I think there'd be a similar argument that if a player really has the the gumption to want to be the best in the world, they couldn't do that anywhere other than Europe. Not even just Saudi Arabia, but no other country can offer that opportunity to be the top dog in the game. So I wonder if that might have some sway as well for the personal plaudits as well as the, you know, the team and professional ones. Potentially, you know, I don't know. And Matt, what do you reckon to also the part of that comment there as well? Like, you know, the Premier League, we've been doing stuff for, for years, like the feeder clubs and and what have you. And we, we, we take over, we've got the multi-club models where we, we can switch players around to, to, you know, to suit. You know, if, if what club, Club D needs money from Club C, you know, they can manufacture a transaction. Mm-hmm. Do, do we, does, again, not, not just the Premier League, I suppose, but does the European football have any moral high ground to say what Saudi are doing are wrong or are we just all the bad guys here? Yeah, there is an element of that and it's kind of a better of 
it's better the devil you know, isn't it? In these scenarios, there's a lot of you know, club will buy their own training ground or the sponsor, you know, the, the owners will buy the training ground to balance the books, and there's all those kind of things. And I think the big we had this with the Super League, though, didn't we? So the individual leagues were under a lot of pressure because they felt their prize pigs were going to be going elsewhere and it, and it caused all sorts of issues. Um, you know, not to labour the point home about like, the country that this is all going on in. I think the Premier League themselves have allowed this system to evolve over the course of time. And I think it's just worried that they aren't going to have the control and they aren't going to be that biggest bully on the playground or the biggest fish in the pond um, anymore. And you can understand why they'd feel they'd be losing their grip on it if the absolute mega superstars go there. And, um, you know, bringing it back to back to Neves, it was it was everywhere on news outlets, this move. It was it was huge. Everybody was talking about it, not just within the walls, Twitter and community like just bbc were reporting it as a news story not a not a sports story mm. it kind of shockwaves went about the footballing world and it, 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 again people who never speak to me about football were kind of going oh what's, what's going on here matt like talk, talk to me about this um so you can understand why the premier league are worried about it and maybe thinking to themselves well we aren't in a position of privilege and we have been for so long and I guess the final thing on this, just before we go, go to a break, I suppose, Andy, one for you is that I think I've mentioned it before. There's there's no, as far as my knowledge goes, there's no FFP or there's hardly any FFP rules in Saudi. So that generally means that they can just, it's like a, it's a free mm. market, isn't it? So, I mean, the, the PIF, they've they've took over, well, essentially nationalised for, for the top teams in, in Saudi. Yeah. Like the ones we know, like um, Al Hilal, and I think whichever the one that um, I forget what's the one that Nuno knows that now. I should I should know, but yeah, whichever one that Al, Al something, yeah. Um, yeah, pretty much like that. And I mean, they've they've nationalised those those four, the four top teams of Saudi, so they can literally just do whatever they want. They can just FFP doesn't apply if they want to go and give someone a million pound a week, they can just go ahead and do that. So again, there's this like right, just 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 is is it in the way? Is it changing the game a little bit? It just purely on the basis of the rules don't apply to them, quite literally. Yeah, quite potentially. Like as far as I'm aware, FFP is very much solely a UEFA edict to try and curb the English, funnily enough. Um, so yeah, the the series they can do absolutely anything they want. Um, and obviously, the man who is in charge of it all, he's not just a billionaire, but he's a multi, multi-billionaire. So, like, he can give someone £15 million over a three-year contract. And that person who will pick up 15, like, say, £45 million, that person is closer to my wage than he is to Mohammed bin Salman's wage. Like, £45 million out of a billion pounds is closer to zero than it is to a billion. That's how big, like we're talking here. It's just, it's insurmountable to us, but it's nothing to them. So you say you can relate. You can yeah, relate. that's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, look, we'll then um, we'll go for a, a quick break now, and then um, when we come back, we'll touch on some of the other topics that have occurred over the last few days. Um, so just join us back momentarily. 
Okay, guys, welcome back. Um, so last week, we learned that those, those data geeks and boffins at Brentford have identified Nathan Collins as a player that they want to sign. Um, and I'm currently in the process of chucking us a few bids. Um, so you can see there from the comment on screen, for the listeners, um, Brentford have made a third bid of 23 million plus add-ons. So 25 million pounds up front is what we're holding out for. Brentford currently sitting at a 23 million pound bid. This is just 12 months after we've signed in from then relegated Burnley for 20 million. Um, Nathan Collins is a player that I find that divides opinion. Um, for me, when you buy, when you bought him, you get the instruction manual out, you put all the individual parts on the table, and you think you've got you know really great thing gear. But as we've seen this season, he does have a tendency to to malfunction. Um, as has been shown, and like the first half of the season, and I wonder whether Lopetegui does actually rate him. So, how 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 do we view Nathan Collins, and what do we think about the prospect of him going to, to Brentford, Matt? What year? Hmm. Now, this is a difficult one here. As I lean closer and closer to this little lamp I have, mm. if it's getting really dark. So, so, so um, <laughs> Basically, I think this is more of a Lopetegui problem than it is a Collins problem. And what I mean by that is, um, if we'd have signed Dawson at the start of the season, nobody would have expected a thing from Collins. Everybody would have understood that he is one for future seasons. He'll learn under um, Dawson and to some extent Kilman, and then he'll be brought into the fold as we as we move Dawson on. Um Obviously, that didn't happen, and we brought we brought him in. And there were spells at the start of the season where he looked like an excellent player. He kung fu kicked Jack Grealish, and then it all went to shit after that. Um, and I just think we, as a fan base, have wrote 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 written wrote him off a little early. That's fine, but then I think the manager himself, with the kind of narrative at the minute, is that he's not. He's looking at players for the now, not for the future. So you have that perfect storm of those two factors. And I don't see a way out of that, personally. If you're a Collins in this scenario and you know you're not going to be utilised because your manager doesn't have faith in you and you get an offer from a club that is proven to be able to coach young players with a manager that is overachieving, why wouldn't you go? Why wouldn't you go? Um, and if we can get money that's close to what we paid for him and we know we're not going to utilise him, why wouldn't you sell? So it, it's 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 almost a, it's almost a, inevitable, I think, unfortunately, because I think there's a player there and I think with the right nurturing, there is a player there, but I don't think that Lopetegui, not that he couldn't coach him, I just don't think he wants to coach him. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what what do you do? Like you can't. It's, it's just it's untenable. What's your thoughts, mm. Andy? What do you reckon? How do you see it? I, I think Matty's one hundred percent accurate with that. It, it's very much come from Lapatagi this, hasn't it? Because I, I, other than probably Little Dan, I think most of us here recognise that there is potential with him, um, and he just needs someone who's going to coach him to his fullest potential. And Lopetegui doesn't seem to be at all interested in that. Um, 
part of it is part potentially because the few times he's brought him on, things have gone to shit a little bit. So maybe he just doesn't trust him. Maybe he doesn't see any potential there. I don't know. But I think the thing with Collins is I like the idea of Collins more than I like the actual Collins. <laughs> like, on paper, everything that we've read about him and we know about him, and even when you look at his early season stats on carrying the ball and all of that nonsense that we don't need to go into, he looks like the kind of player that would be a really good heir to Dawson. But then when we've seen him on the pitch, he doesn't pass the eye test. So I sort of get why Lopetegui maybe is a little bit fearful. And I suppose the other issue is realistically... As a fan, all we see is we'll be losing a player. There is always that potential that we're losing that player because he knows that we've got X, Y or Z about to come in who could replace him as this big potential centre-back. I don't know. Do you think that he, that the, as it stands anyway, the small profit that we make on him justifies the sale? I, I don't think it does. I mean, we're looking at, even if we get 25, which is what we're hoping for, that's four and a half million pounds. That's not really that much. I mean, are we really in that dire straits that we need that four and a half million pounds? I mean, if that's the case, then we're kind of fucked, aren't we? Let's be honest. Well, let's say, for Inca, I bet you when he listens to this, he will be thinking FFP and or the, the amortisation. So that four could be in 16 <laughs> or four years, just to caveat that yeah. in, case, in case he makes a comment. But um, yeah, so we've got some comments coming in here from, from uh, Matt Bradley. Um, so apparently if we sell Neves, Silva and Collins, that would allow us to become big spenders and 80 million-ish. But what do you reckon, Matt? Do you reckon, do you reckon it's, a, it's given... The, the, again, like I say, it's it's a small beer considering twenty million. He's had well a very indifferent season, if we put it rightly. Do you reckon it's a good price if someone's offering us nearly twenty five for him after the season he's had? Well, transfer fees are not what a player is worth. It's what the player is worth to the club that they're selling. Yeah. And in that way, then yeah, because it's a player that we don't want that we're selling for profit. So yes. In those blunt terms, it, it is a good price for Wolves, but actually, with it's making me sound like like a agenda agenda over here. But like, if 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 Lopetegui is, if Lopetegui just isn't going to coach him, or the, the player wants out, for all we know, you know, we don't know any more than what we can speculate and what we read on Twitter. Um, I think it's probably a best bet, a best move for all scenario. Really, my concern will be what does that mean then in terms of who our what our back line looks like. You know, does does Captain Charisma return, or you know, is he being sold on to bring in another defender that's probably got a bit more experience, but isn't going to be a long term prospect that when Lopetegui eventually goes. What are we left with? That's the, the more overriding concern for that me. That was going to be my uh, next question to you, actually, was to say, would you be happy if we kept Cody but sold Collins? Is there an age for age versus, well, yeah, an, an experience versus raw material? Yeah. Yin and Yang there. Would you be happy I mean, if that happened? I don't know. It's been fashionable to like bash on Cody for a while now. And now that we're faced with the very real possibility that he'll be coming back, um, long term, I think it would be 
catastrophic is a bit harsh, but you know that's not the answer in the long term, is it? That's not you know you know Dawson isn't the answer in the long term, and he's arguably the player of the season last season. So I think that would leave us in a very sticky scenario if that was the, the final outcome come the end of the transfer window and one that I think we'd we'd learn to regret. Mm, I agree with that. I, I don't think Cody's the answer. I don't think Cody is any better than Collins, even with the added experience that he's got, to be perfectly honest. We saw him flounder in a back four at Everton. I just can't see it happening. And let's be honest, he wasn't ready for a fight 12 months ago for his place. He's not getting getting in ahead of Dawson. He's not getting in ahead of Kilman unless we revert to a back five, which from as far as I'm aware, Lopetegui's never played a back five. I think he would rather have the four with the option of dropping Lamina in if that's how it goes. And before anyone says, can Conor Cody play midfield? No, he fucking can't. We nearly sold him as a midfielder because he was awful. Do you reckon then, Andy, that's that's the case with Lopetegui, that he he wants, he's got no time for, for coaching. He wants ready-made players rather than someone that he can spend a few years moulding. He's like, I guess, I mean, this this comparison might get ripped apart, but Mourinho was that way. He just wanted players who, who would just mm. put in the team and play now. I'm not saying that they'd play the same way or whatever. I'm just, that's what I recall of, always recall of Mourinho. He never had a young player that he, you know, moulded and brought through. Yeah. He's lost Hagi the same way. He just wants to get a, get ready-made players in, chuck them in, and off you go. You're good for the next two years. It sort of feels like that, doesn't it? I mean, even... I know we've been linked with a couple of younger players, uh, the lad from Coventry and the one from Bristol. But even so, they feel like they're straight ahead of what you'd consider a traditional young player who's going to play 10, 15 minutes here and there and, and really come through. You look at someone like Joe Hodge, who apparently Lopetegui was really high on when he came in. And we haven't seen hide nor hair of him since he's come in. So does he really want to be a coach or does he just want to manage big name players? It kind of feels like the latter. Mm. And most of the signings that we made in January were very much ready-made. In part, probably because we did need that as well. I suppose the only one who's a bit younger, obviously, was Joe Gomez. Um, but again, he looks so much better than any of the other young prospects out there. And I guess to, to move on a little bit to another player who's, whose future is still not certain, and that is of our... Mexican sensation Raul. Um, there is no, I know it's it's very early days in the transfer window and and all that, but we haven't really had any interest in him yet. Reported, I did see something that the other day an article he put out that he has ruled out a move to MLS this summer at least. But I think there were some quotes that emerged a few days ago from him about him being forced to play through um, his injury early this season, and I, I do have the quote to hand here when he started saying that when he started not playing in the, there in the team, he said he wanted to take advantage um, while the coach isn't using me about going for surgery. But then evidently we've then told him that we do need him. We do want you playing. So they gave him an infiltration. I'm not a medical man, so that could mean anything. <laughs> um, an infiltration to endure the pain. And that's why he ended up playing the last few games. And it was something that, that helped me. But now this pain evidently has has come back. Um, he's felt it while he's been on holiday and won't be involved in the Gold Cup for Mexico. What's going on here with our with our medical staff? And 
is this another nail in their coffin, so to speak, with their complete mismanagement of, of Raul's injury, or is there something else behind this? Well, this was this was post Doctor Death, though, wasn't it? All of this now. This is towards the back end of the season. Are we talking these quotes? I believe so. so yeah. Uh, I don't buy this. To be honest, I mean, injections, pain injections are not. It is nothing new in football. It's one of the FM options, isn't it? When you've got a player on the verge of an injury, so this isn't like anything that's new, and that doesn't speak to me. You know, contrast that with him throwing his training top or whatever it was on the last day of the season at home when he didn't play. Those aren't the actions of someone that is feels like he's being forced to play through injury. You know what I mean? Just something's not right there. There's something just. It's one of these situations. I would love nothing more than Raul to get to half of the ability that he had before the injury and play for Wolves for one more season, bag 10 goals over a campaign, leave on a high. I would love it. Kevin Keegan style would love it. Um, but it's just not going to happen, is it? It's just not It's just not going to happen. You know, Kalajic will come back. Whether he stays fit for a season, probably not. But I think, uh, you know... The, the Raul scenario is just one that needs to be cut before it gets sour. And I mean, really sour. There's a chance this, this could go, could get ugly if going into a new season, it was Kalajic and Raul as our two, as our two, you know, number nine strikers. Mm. I'm sure we'll get on to Fabio shortly. Um, it could get ugly if, if, if week after week we were relying on a player that does or doesn't want to be here. And there's this, the, the, the triangle of the club, him and the fans are constantly at each other. It, 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 could, it could get nasty. So I think for, for, for parties, it would be better if he was moved on. Yeah, ideally, I think he needs to get a move. I'm kind of amazed that there isn't a club in Saudi Arabia or even Mexico returning back home because he does have a famous name still, doesn't he? Still has that, that credibility to some extent. So I am kind of shocked at that. But I'm not, I'm sort of 50-50 on the injury story because I'm sure, like I said about Matinho, there's definitely something going on there. And you're probably going to find the club story and Jimenez's story. And the truth is going to be somewhere in the middle with it all. Because he was, I mean, he obviously feels that he did have an injury that needed some form of, uh, of operation to correct it. And if he wasn't allowed to, and then he wasn't even on the bench some weeks, and then when he was, he wasn't used... So they're trying to manage his pain for no reason. Like, why are you giving him injections to get through a football match if you're not putting him on the bench or you're not even giving him 10, 15 minutes? Mm. I would imagine as a player that would be very frustrating. Like, don't put me through this crap if you're then not going to use me when I could have just had the operation and then I'd be on my way to recuperation by now ready for next year. But like I said, I, I bet the story's probably somewhere in the middle of it all. Do you reckon he'll still be here then next summer? Uh, well, after this, after this summer, shall I say? Potentially, because I don't think he'll cancel his contract. And I'm not 100% sure who will come in for him. I mean, we might let him go on a freak to just at least get the wages off the bill. But I don't know. So... In the vein of strikers then, Matt, you mentioned him there a few minutes ago. Don Fabio, what's going to become of him? We've, we've, we've probably all saw 
on Twitter, was it a week or so ago, the um, the agent chat. It was the agent was uh, not shy coming forward about Fabio wanting to try somewhere else. Has has he burnt the bridges now with Wolves? And, and and if he has, if he wants to go, is it understandable given how his time at Wolves has, has gone thus far? If you were him, what would you do? Mm, I don't know. There's so much about this that he's just he rubs me up the wrong way. You know, is this a, is this a a call from him and his agent for a I need a cuddle chat from Wolves? <laughs> Is it a please get me to another club? I don't know. You know, it's not like he was having, he was going through the uh, the Morgan having paint thrown at his car kind of scenario <laughs> every week, was it? Let's be brutally honest. Yeah, yeah. He, he wasn't given as much time and patience that he deserves in that stint. But he was also playing behind closed doors for a lot of it as well. And the, this whole like psychological scars issue. If that's, I don't, I don't know. Again, I, it, this feels like more like a ploy to kind of get more money out of a move than anything from an agent, than something that the player themselves, uh, you know, how young the guy is, how influential agents are. I kind of get the feeling this isn't Don Fabio's war that he's fighting here. It's the agent on his, on his behalf, if that makes any sense. You know, on the question of does he burn his bridges for Wolves, if he came and scored 15 goals, if he came and scored 10 goals, there'd be another petition to get a statue outside of Molyneux for him, the way that we've been playing. Let's be brutally honest. We're a very fickle bunch, aren't we, in this fan base? Um, so, burnt bridges, no. There's nothing like a good goal-scoring record does to mend fences. Um, but, again, you talk about the fee that we paid versus what we'd be willing to sell for. That will tell you everything. If we're willing to sell him for like 20 million or something like that, not recoup the full money back, then it tells you everything you want to know about the need to get him shipped off before he just becomes, again, another uncomfortable scenario for the club's media team more than anything. Another handling of a player that's gone wrong. Mm. There's a few question marks really over the, the statement from his agent. Um, I, I believe like the first thing he said when he was talking to, was it the Wolfpack who got the scoop okay. i believe uh, the first thing he said was i want to make sure that you're aware that he really appreciates the fans so who is it who's like thrown him under the bus who did he need protection from if not the fans like I, I don't quite understand why he's making that point if he's ultimately blaming the fans but then who needs to be protecting him if it was bruno well he's fucked off he's, he's not here anymore so why is that an issue so there's a couple of question marks over the statement that make me think this is a case of him saying, I want you to want me, either to ourselves or to another club in Europe. You know, you know, tickle me a little bit, tease me, baby, sort of thing. I think is what he wants. <laughs> so that that's what I think he's going for, if I'm honest. He wants that, um, yeah, he wants to be put on a pedestal, I think. Been a while since um, some headline of Player X issues are come and get me playing. It's been a while since <laughs> saw one of those. Um, it's a shame, really, for him. Just before we move on to our final thing, it's a shame, really, for um, for him because I think we're doing we've done this season what we should have done with him at the start, which was to loan him out, you know, get some games under about because it's obviously not worked for him the past couple of years, especially the season before last where he didn't score the entire season, which I think really broke his confidence, but. 
let's hope let's hope anyway that you know we can come to a, a, a good outcome with that one and ideally for me hopefully he does stay and then we can see the real Fabio Silva but the and finally section is the the away kit let's talk kits fellas let's talk about our reaction to the the, the new kit that's come out um the, the, the club didn't release the away kit and I thought it was quite a Belgian red, but the, 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 the colour is actually classed as savvy red. And um, so the Wolves Club Shop says that it is a pattern inspired by Mediterranean architecture. Now, obviously, we saw the 1877 Trust spokesman was not a fan. Are you two a fan of the, the new away kit? I mean, the only thing savvy about it is the money saved in my wallet. <laughs> you know, like, I, I personally am not and it's a real shame because I, over the last few years I've pretty much bought the away when it's come out and then bought the home closer towards the end of the season when it's on when it's on sale or something like that because the away kits have been pretty unique even that the cloud Simpsons intro one was like it was pretty unique to look at, whereas this one just doesn't do anything for me really. I'm more likely to get the Mr. Blobby Pink one, the goalkeeper kit, than than this. If I'm honest with you, um, it's not for me, Jeff. To be honest, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll be saving my cash on this one. I, I'm completely indifferent to it. I don't like it. I don't dislike it. It just exists. Like it's fine. <laughs> I guess if I'm pushed for an answer, it's fine. Yeah, I mean it's something the club have done over the last few years. Anyway, I think we've had the Portugal, we've had the uh, the Mexico inspired kit, and now we've got a Spain inspired kit. Like, yeah, I, I get it. What what do we think of um, the kits released so far in general? I mean, about the two goalkeeper tops. Um, again, I've consulted the club shop to get the official colours: um, beetroot purple and acid lime. Do you, are we a fan of those? And also. Pro kits, 115 quid. What do you think about the goalkeeper tops and the prices? I, I mean, quite like the goalie yeah. tops. They, they, mm. I, I don't know if it's just because they're loud, but I also realise that I'm a 40-year-old man and men oh, do very not goalie tops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But as a grown-up, you're not allowed to buy goalie tops. So, yeah, I, I couldn't bring myself to it. But I, I do quite like them both. But the, the 115 quid, I mean, that's, that's atrocious, really. I bought the first season when we had Castor, I bought the £100 one. And it's nice and like you can see the quality in it compared to the original, but for the sake of that much money, it's not that much nicer. So I don't think they're really worth that personally. What do you reckon? Uh, Have you had the final word on it? Because with your lighting, you're looking like that face that pops up in the Exorcist film partway through. With all that, all the yeah, light. I need to. I'm going to disappear off into the ether if I lean too far back. Um, <laughs> so, um, I mean, 115. Did you say? Um, 115 sheets. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's a weekly food shop for some, and it's it's a night out for others. It's it suppose it depends on your personal circumstances. It's it's not for like I wouldn't pay that money for it. I don't like it. Um, the, what was the color? You had acid lime, and what was the other one? Pomegranate uh, blue. Beetroot purple. Beetroot purple. See, uh, Andy and Stuart told me about a vegan festival that was going on in Wolverhampton soon. It sounds like an appetizer at one of those. To be honest, <laughs> um, yeah, it's it, it's not for me. It's about a bit of acid lime sprinkled on top. A bit of acid lime sprinkled yeah. beetroot canopy. <laughs> um, yeah, it's not for me really, but 
I think one of the um, one of the leaks for the home shirt looks fairly interesting, and there's always the third shirt that we might never wear. So there's still hope yet. All right. Well, we um, we await the home shirt and the I guess probably outlandish out there third shirt with severe anticipation. Um, and with that, um, we will call the pod there. So thank you to all you listeners and, and YouTube viewers for uh, for taking the show. Keep up to date with everything on the FanCast, at Wolf FanCast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And until we meet again, it's goodbye from Andy. See you later, everyone. And it's goodbye from Matt. Take it easy, everybody. Look after yourselves. And it's a goodbye from me. See you all later, guys. <laughs> it would be a wolf's fun, eh? I'm going full. People, mate.